0: Would you pray with me before we we read God's word? Father, this is your authoritative, inspired word. We come before you this morning rejoicing in every season. We have every reason to praise the Lord. We declare together uh, with one voice, Lord, we need you. God, we know we we are uh, here today to uh, remember that this this story is our redemption story. God, all these things that we've just been able to sing uh, this morning. God, we pray that that you would help us uh, to hear what you have to say to us this morning through your word. Give us grace now. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, as we seek to hear from you. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John 7, verse 25, if you remain standing, we'll read. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they can say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to him. Jesus then said, I'll be with you a little longer, and that I'm going to, uh, to him who sent me. You will see me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. And the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that, he will, that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to a dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying you will seek me and you will not find me and where I am, you cannot come. This is where we're really going to focus our time here today. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Father, we pray again that you bless the reading of your word. Give us again sensitive hearts, open ears and open eyes to see and to hear wonderful things from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. So in this passage, uh, Jesus is at what's called the Feast of Booths, and this was a feast that was part of the Old Covenant worship, and there wasn't, uh, there weren't many feasts or festivals in the Jewish calendar that were as joyful and celebratory as this one. It's also called the Feast of Tabernacles, and this celebration was the last of the fall festivals and was held at the end of the agricultural year when the grapes and the olives were harvested in Israel. It was just a big celebration. God has provided abundantly. It's kind of like what we think about, I don't know what your favorite holiday is. The older I get, the increasingly uh, more I'm loving Thanksgiving. I think because it's kind of a neglected holiday. I don't know about you, when in my house, when uh, Halloween's over, the Christmas tree comes up, which I'm good with, but I kind of feel like Thanksgiving is the neglected, uh, neglected holiday. This was kind of like their Thanksgiving. Massive holiday God has provided. We're giving thanks to him. And ultimately, it was this celebration where they could remember the wilderness journey from Egypt to Canaan. From the place they were in bondage to the place that they had been promised and set free. And in keeping with this purpose of the Feast of Booths to remember the wilderness journey, later Israelites added this water pouring ceremony. Also, if you can't hear, I'm a little bit under the weather. I don't normally sound this velvety, right? So that's why I sound like this. Uh, but they were added this water pouring ceremony to recall those occasions when the Lord had given them water in the desert. God had exceedingly abundantly provided more than, than they could have ever thought he would do. And the officiating priest would draw water from the pool of Siloam and pour it into the basin near the altar in the temple. It's against that backdrop. So just think for a second, like Thanksgiving. Massive holiday, Remembering what God has done, celebrating. There are these rituals that are commemorating how God has provided for his people. And Jesus shows up. And this is what's happened in John 6 and 7. In John 6, Jesus had provided food for thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Then he explains how he himself is the bread that comes from heaven. He'd also talked about the law that was given. To Moses, for the people of God. Now he has shown up during this feast commemorating God's provision for them in the wilderness, teaching. Teaching in the temple. Of course, there is some speculation here among the people about who Jesus was. So you can just imagine, some people were saying, he's lying. He's deceiving people. Just If you go back and you just read the previous verses from what we just read and where we just start reading this is what people think this is still what some people think he was lying he's not actually who he said he was some people thought he was uh, a lunatic and this is C.S. Lewis's trilemma liar lunatic lord so some people would say he's crazy you know who are among those his family for a long time Jesus own family thought he was crazy He's just deluded. Don't listen to what he's saying. Or some people would say regularly, Could this man be the Messiah? Like, is he the one we've been waiting for? The questioning and speculating continues where we just started reading. Can this be the Christ? People are wondering if Jesus really is the Messiah. Maybe you've been confronted with who Jesus is, and you really do. Maybe you're just not quite sold on the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, our Lord, Christ, the anointed one, the one from God who saved the world. I don't want us to rush past this because I don't know how many people are here today. 175 people. This isn't some obscure story about fictional characters having a theological discussion about Jesus. This is a real account of real people living real lives with real problems looking for the real Messiah, asking real questions about a real man who was in their midst. These are people who, uh, not just having an ivory tower theological conversation, could this be the person? These are people who are hurting. These are people living lives with real problems, sickness, doubt, questions, financial problems, marriage problems, parenting problems. People really living their life like boots on the ground, uh, kind of living life. And then this guy shows up making all kinds of claims. And they're saying, could this be, could this be him? Then Jesus goes into Judea during this feast of Booths, and he looks at these Jews and says to them in the temple, you know me, and you know where I come from. But I've not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. The point here is that there's a speculation from all these people. People were confused. Maybe you're, maybe you're confused. Maybe you hear what Jesus is saying, and you say, I'm just not sure. I want to believe, but I'm just not sure. I've tried everything else. Maybe that's why you're here today. There's something happening here in verse 30. So they were seeking to arrest him and nobody laid a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. Acts 2 explains Peter's sermon at Pentecost, looking back and reflecting on the ministry and the life of Jesus. And he says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.20, Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in the last times for the sake of you. And Jesus himself says in Matthew 25, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Point these verses out for a reason. Jesus did not come in the hopes of accomplishing this plan. Jesus came to accomplish the plan. Jesus came to do what he had been known to do and had been predestined from before the foundation of the world to do. He didn't come to try. He came to do. This is who we worship. This is what we talked about last Wednesday. It's not in our Bible study. Jesus is Powerful. This is from the mouth of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4. Speaking about God and how he accomplishes his plan. Listen to this. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Jesus came to accomplish the plan. Jesus is God's plan A. He is not God's plan B. And the reason that they couldn't lay a hand on him is because the hour for his glory had not yet come. So get this picture. Jesus is here in Crowded Judea. People are trying to silence him by killing him or at least by having him arrested. People are confused about who this strange, young, miracle-working rabbi is. And on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stands up and says something absolutely unbelievable. It's hard for us to kind of Uh, understand the weight of what's being said here. What Jesus said would have stopped people in their tracks. And every day during this feast, the priests marched up to the pool of Siloam and filled jars with water to be poured again in this, the base of the altar. The last actual day of the festival, the seventh day, there was a special lights ceremony and water pouring ritual. And the eighth day was a time of assembly where people would come together and they would take their booths or their tabernacles down. And then they would disperse. The festival was over. Jesus stands up at the the climax of this festival and said something that surely would have been stuck in the memories of those who heard so here with all this speculation going on about who Jesus is, with all the tension and the anger from the Pharisees and the other Jewish leaders, on the last day of the feast, this is verses 37 and 38, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Somebody here needs to hear what's coming out of my mouth next. Come to me if anyone thirsts and drinks. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. One commentator says just when the events of the feast and the attendant symbolism were beginning to sink into people's memories, Jesus' words promised a continuous supply of water and light. So, this invitation from Jesus is remarkable. He does not exclude anybody. If you have heard people say in your life, or maybe you've been interested in Christianity or interested in Jesus, and you say, uh, Jesus, Christianity is too exclusive, here's what you need to know. Jesus says, anybody who wants to come can come. Anybody. The water of the ceremony, again, this is pointing to the true, eternal giver of life. Jesus, this is what sometimes we think, is a... I'm really thirsty and I need to figure things out before I come. Or I'm confused. I don't know uh, if, I, if Jesus is worthy of following. I don't know if he is who says he is. Do you know what the only pre- prerequisite for you coming to Jesus in this particular situation Jesus tells us is? You have to be thirsty. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have every theological question answered in your life. You don't have to know the secret to every whatever. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. Any of those things. Jesus says, if you are thirsty, come to me. This is important too. The invitation is for anyone, but the invitation is also come to me. Jesus does not say that one should come to religion. He does not say that one should go to the Christian bookstore. He doesn't say, come to me, and then I'll point you in the direction you need to go. He says, come to me. If you are thirsty, come to me. Often we can get confused and come to something bearing the name of Jesus and think that we've come to Jesus. This is what, uh, have you ever known somebody who it was very clear that these, uh, maybe somebody is not walking with Jesus and maybe they don't know him, but they put a Jesus label on what they're doing. That's what it means to bear the name of the Lord in vain. And so what we don't want to do is mistakenly come to something that is bearing the name of Jesus, rightly or wrongly, and think that we've come to Jesus. Jesus has come to me. Your questions and confusion, your struggling and doubt, your seemingly unquenchable thirst should not prevent you from coming to Jesus. It should drive you home to Jesus. Did anybody in here, I've already quoted C.S. Lewis once, anybody here like C.S. Lewis? Anybody here not know who C.S. Lewis is? C.S. Lewis wrote a, um, how many of you have seen the Chronicles of Narnia? The movie, okay. C.S. Lewis created this world called Narnia, and he wrote a bunch of books about it, and many other books. But there's one book that he wrote called The Silver Chair. And he paints this picture of what this particular passage looks like. Jill sees a lion in Narnia. She flees into the forest. Pretty soon, she's worn out. She's dying of thirst. She hears a brook nearby and heads toward it, only to see the lion crouched, drinking from the stream. If you're thirsty, come and drink, the lion says. Well, Jill doesn't move. Are you not thirsty, says the lion. I'm dying of thirst, Jill says. Well, then drink. Drink. Well, may I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do? Is what she says. The lion lets out a low growl and does not move. Jill says, will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come? I make no promise, says the lion. Well, I dare not come and drink. Then you will die of thirst." Oh dear, I suppose I must go and look for another stream then, says Jill. Then the lion says, there is no other stream. This is what Jesus says. You have been looking for water to satisfy your soul everywhere. That's what God says. It's Jeremiah, right? My people have committed two evils. They have made hewn out cisterns for themselves that can hold no water. And then they have forsaken the God of living waters. And this is kind of the story that we, that we uh, continually inhabit in our lives. We keep looking for the right thing in the wrong place. This is what Jill said. And Jesus says, or Aslan, there's no other stream. Jesus invites us to come to him, but he will change us for our good and God's glory. He invites all who thirst to come to him. It's not just to come and drink. It's also a, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So it's not just come and drink. It's also come and live. Jesus calls the thirsty to come and drink. And then he explains how he's going to change us when we come to him. If you come to Jesus and drink, rivers of living water will flow out of your heart. I'm just going to ask you a question Do you bring life wherever you go? Are you a life-giving person? Jesus had this way when he entered into a place. Uh, You ever heard the illustration of, are you a thermometer or a thermostat? You either reflect the temperature of the room or you set the temperature in the room. Jesus was the one who set the temperature in the room. Jesus had a way of bringing this peace, life, when he entered a place. Jesus has different ways of talking about this rivers of living water. Eternal life, he calls it in John 5. John 3, he calls it being born again. Jesus is talking about what happens when a person comes to him. They are changed, they live a whole different reality in the kingdom of God. And often when a person comes to Jesus, they may think that they're coming to him to secure their eternity. Quick question, is that true? Absolutely, 100% true. It's not untrue, but it's just not the whole truth. Paul later tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, take hold of the eternal life to which you have been called. Jesus says in John 17, this is eternal life that they know God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That's not something that's going to happen one day after you breathe your last, last breath in this life. That's something that Paul tells Timothy and Jesus tells us is at your disposal right now. Jesus talks a lot more about getting heaven into us than he does about getting us into heaven. The eternal life to which we have been called, this life of living water flowing from our hearts is ours for the taking now. The power of the Holy Spirit who enables us to live for God's glory and the joy of the world is at your disposal right now. I always thought about eternal life as quantitative. Meaning, I thought it lasted forever. Like when you die, you're going to live with Jesus forever. Is that true? Yes. But what if eternal life also has as much to do with the quality of life as it does with the quantity of life? How many of you will be excited to live the rest of your eternity in the current state of your existence? With the heart that you have, with the struggles that you have, um, you know, people always say, um, wherever you go, there you are. I shared this on Wednesday night. Um, I remember vividly Kelly and I were traveling back from a conference a couple of years ago. And I remember we were on an airplane and it was a cloudy day and I remember looking out of the window at the clouds and thinking to myself, man, if I could just come up here and live in the clouds, I probably would still have the same issues because I would be with me. Jesus is not only interested in the quantity of eternal life, he's also interested in the quality of your eternal life now. What kind of person are you becoming? If I get on Interstate 95 and go north, am I going to end up in Texas? No. You you will end up where you're heading. And this is what Jesus is saying. Eternal life is at your disposal now. Rivers of living water are at your disposal now. This is what will come out of you if you come to me and drink deeply. And I do want to share this real quick. This is just about... This is how we'll close. This is from a guy named Tom Schmidt. I just want to share with you a story about a lady. What comes to your mind when you hear the phrase rivers of living water? Streams of living water? What would that look like to you? I'm just going to read this. And I want you to just think about Streams of living water. This is by a guy named Tom Schmidt, if you want to look look up later. Uh, He tells a story about this lady he met. Here's what he says. The state-run convalescent home is not a pleasant place. It's large, understaffed, and overfilled with senile, helpless, and lonely people who are wanting to die. On the brightest days, it seems the dark inside and the smell of sickness... I went there once or twice a week for four years, but I never wanted to, and I always left with a sense of relief. It's not the kind of place that one gets used to. On this particular day, I was walking in a hallway that I had not visited before, looking for a few who were alive to receive a flower and a few words of encouragement. This hallway seemed to contain some of the worst cases, strapped onto carts or wheelchairs and looking completely helpless. As I neared the hallway's end, I saw an old woman strapped in a wheelchair. Her face was an absolute horror. The empty stare and white pupils of her eyes told me she was blind. The large hearing aid over one ear told me that she was almost deaf. One side of her face was being eaten by cancer. A discolored sore covered part of one cheek and it had pushed her nose to one side, dropped one eye, and distorted her jaw so that what she should have what should have been the corner of her mouth Was the bottom of her mouth. As a consequence, she drooled constantly. And I was told later that when new nurses arrived, the supervisors would send them to feed this woman, thinking that if they could stand this, they could stand anything there. I learned later that this woman was 89 years old and that she had been here, bedridden, blind, and nearly deaf, deaf and alone for 25 years. Her name was Mabel, Miss Mabel. I don't know why I spoke to her. She looked less likely to respond than the others I saw in the hallway, but I put a flower in her hand and said, here's a flower for you. Happy Mother's Day. She held up the flower to her face and tried to smell it. And then she spoke. And much to my surprise, her words, although somewhat garbled because of her deformity, were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, thank you. It's lovely. But can I give it to someone else? I can't see it. You know, I'm blind. I said, of course. And I pushed her in her chair back down the hallway to a place where I thought I could find some alert patients. I found one and I stopped the chair. Mabel held out the flower and said, here, this is from Jesus. That's when it began to dawn on me that this is not an ordinary human. Later, I wheeled her back to her room and learned more about her history. She had grown up on a small farm that she managed with only her mother and her her mother until her mother died. Then she ran the farm alone from until 1950 when her blindness and sickness sent her to the convalescent home. For 25 years, she got weaker and sicker with constant headaches, back aches and stomach aches and then cancer. Mabel and I became friends over the next weeks and I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. Her first words were usually an offer of hard candy from a tissue box near her bed. Some days I read, her, read to her from the Bible And when I would pause, she continued reciting the passage from memory. Other days, I took a book of hymns and sang with her, and she knew all the words of all the old songs. It was not many weeks before I turned from a sense that I was being helpful to a sense of wonder. And I would go to her with a pen and paper to write down things that she would say. During one hectic week of final exams, I was frustrated because my mind seemed to be pulled in ten different directions at once with all the things that I had to think about, the question occurred to me, what does Mabel think about? Hour after hour, day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's day or night. So I went and I asked her, Mabel, what do you think about when you lie here? She said, I think about my Jesus. It's a true story. I sat there and thought for a moment about the difficulty for me of thinking about Jesus for even five minutes. And I asked, "Well, what do you think about Jesus? She replied slowly and deliberately as I wrote, I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those kinds who's mostly satisfied. Lots of folks wouldn't care much what I think. Lots of folks would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. Then Mabel began singing, Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He's my strength from day to day. Without him, I would fall. When I am sad, to him I go. No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. This is not fiction, incredible as it may seem. A human being really lived like this. I know, I knew her, Tom Schmidt says. How could she do it? Seconds ticked and minutes crawled. And so did days and weeks and months and years of pain without human company and without an explanation of why it was all happening. And she lay there and sang hymns. How could she do it? The answer, I think, is that Mabel had something that you and I don't have much of. She had power. She had rivers of living water. Lying there in that bed, unable to move, unable to see, unable to hear, unable to talk to anyone, she had incredible power. What comes to your mind when you think of power? What comes to your mind when you think of streams of living water flowing from your heart? Blessed are the powerless. There's just the kingdom of heaven. Mabel was a picture of that. I don't think that, had that been me, I would have been laying in that bed singing songs. Maybe when the day comes that that is me, I'll be the kind of person who's ready for that. It sounds like Mabel had drunk deeply from the Jesus well. So some of you have been asking questions, maybe having doubts, struggling in life, wandering around, trying to figure out who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who invites you to come and drink deeply. Everything from which you drink is a broken cistern that cannot hold water. I feel like when when Jesus is saying this, He's not standing there with a finger pointed. That's what Dane Orland says in Gentle and Lowly. He does not stand there with a finger pointed, ready to condemn. He stands here with his arms open, ready to receive. This is not a threat. This is an invitation. Jesus is inviting you to come and drink. And when we finally realize everything in life that promises to deliver never will, he says, I'm right here. Come and drink. Jesus is the only one who can truly satisfy your deepest desires, quench your strongest thirst. There is no other stream. Some of you have come to Jesus and drink. But when I read that story of Mabel, you'd say, that's not me. That's not anywhere near me. You don't seem to have rivers of living water coming out of your heart. I'm telling you, and Jesus is saying, this life is yours now. It's not an add-on. This is what it means to drink deeply from the Jesus will. Come to him and drink. Come to him and live. There is no other stream. I'm going to invite you to stand. We'll pray together. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. There is no other name. There is no other stream. There is no other Savior. There is no other teacher. Jesus alone. There is no other. Father, I pray in these next moments as we respond, God, that you would set our minds on things above. That we'd be like the psalmist and say, I have said the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. We would be a people who would, when people on the outside look at us, they would say they have drank from the Jesus well and they are satisfied. Streams of living water are flowing from their hearts. Give us grace to become people like that. For your glory, for our joy, and for the joy of the world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.